Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. Today, we have a special Jazz Shapers encore for you. Returning to the show is Henrietta Morrison, who last joined me way back, what feels like 100 years ago, and the last century was in fact in 2012, so almost 10 years ago. Henrietta is the founder and was the CEO and executive chair of Lily's Kitchen, proper food for pets. They're on a mission to change the way that pets eat. Independent from an early age, Henrietta is a serial founder. As she says, to be able to do your own thing is so magical. People buying something you've created, you always get a kick from that. After creating a business where she made teddy bears day and night for Cambridge tourists, then founding magazine publishers AP Publishing, with which she created many magazines, including a publication forging opportunities for people with disabilities, Henrietta then founded the community portal Queer Company, partly from a desire for people to have a different view of what it is to be gay. But her most recent creation came about when her border terrier Lily became poorly, refusing to eat. Henrietta found when she made fresh home-cooked meals of, for instance, minced lamb, vegetables, rice and grated apple, sounds delicious, Lily lapped it up and after 10 days made a full recovery. Unable to find this type of healthy, high-quality dog food in shops, Henrietta launched her own brand, Lily's Kitchen, from, you guessed it, her kitchen, remortgaging to cover the finances. Lily's Kitchen is now available across 6,000 stores in over 30 countries and is the first pet food company to receive the Queen's Award for Enterprise in Innovation. This is a Jazz Shapers on Call special. Henrietta Morrison, back from 2012, is here in 2021. Back then, four years into the business, she was the CEO and then became executive chair of Lily's Kitchen. Today, she is newly departed from the fair shores of Lily's Kitchen because of a sale last year, I think in April 2020. Hello, it's nice to see you in these unusual surroundings. Welcome back. <laughs> it only feels like about 100 years ago. I'm going to ask you if it's possible to cast your mind back to then. And I was speaking to someone yesterday about something else, and they said, I can't remember what happened 45 minutes ago, let alone what happened last year, because this is extremely intense. But in 2012, when I met you, and you were four years into that business, did you think you would be where you are now? What a great question. I would say yes, to be completely honest. You know, four years in, I knew that we had something incredibly special. I think the first four years of any business, if you make it to the four-year point, you know, you have got something amazing. Those first four years are incredibly tough. I look back and I just think, I, I just don't know how I did it because in a business such as Lily's Kitchen, where you're really changing the conversation, you're changing an industry, you are trying to persuade people to do something that they have never done before. You know, you put so much energy into that. And it's incredibly exhausting. And I think by the time I got to four years, I was like, okay, we've I found people to make the food for me. I found the people to agree to make the recipes that I wanted made. I've actually found people to make the food with fresh meat, which is, had never been done before. Um, and we had a, such a groundswell of, of wonderful consumers and an incredible team of people working at Lily's Kitchen that those four years that set up that sort of real brick by brick 
retail stores that accepted us and and displayed our food in their windows, you know, all of that groundwork had really been done. And so it was just a question of letting the business fly. I think also what I recall is, and I've read in a few places, that this was really at the beginning before the the four years were chalked up. And as you said, then instinct and and hard work leads to more structure. And you can see that the foundations are real and solid and you can build, as you just described. But to get to day one, it was based on a hunch. I mean, it was simply, what? There's no really proper food here for pets. Mm. How can that be? Yes. I mean, that's an extraordinary truth, but it's also reassuring for anyone thinking about doing their own thing, which is trust your judgment. You obviously did. And and have you always? And if so, why? It was a hunch, but it just having a hunch by itself is not enough, I would say. You've, every one of the businesses that I've set up, I really was on a standing on a soapbox about. And, you know, even the teddy bear business, it sounds crazy, you know, how can you be passionate about the teddy bears? But I was just very frustrated at the time that there were no great products for tourists to buy when they were visiting Cambridge. And, you know, right through to, I could not believe that there was no good food for pets. And I, I love Lily so much. And I just wanted to be able to pull something out of the cupboard that I totally trusted that I could feed her that, that and that she, you know, she would really thrive on. And so I was very much driven by wanting to make a difference. And I think that that coupled with the hunch, that's really what causes the velocity and, and really brings you into action because there are so many, dare I say, dark days when you're setting up a business and very long nights. And, you know, you've got to have that just inexorable drive to to make a difference that pulls you through. And I just felt I wanted something that other people could also have for their pets. And I just was very clear that I, I was going to make a difference here. And I just wouldn't take the status quo as what, what was acceptable. And so I just thought, right, I'm going to do something about this. I've got no idea how to do it. I really know nothing about this industry. I know nothing about about pet food. But I, what I did was I spoke to a lot of people who were experts and I spoke to really everybody. I visited every single manufacturer of pet food and then sat down and thought, okay, right, what does a perfect recipe look like? How would I create this from a wish list? And when I then went back around to get people to make this for me, they just shook their heads and said, forget it. This is way too difficult. We've never used real meat in pet food. There's no way we can do that. Our, our, you know, our kitchens can't even we don't know how to bring in real meat. You know, we only use oil and dried bone meal and dried goods. We've got nowhere to store wet goods. So, you know, there was just so much change in such a small period that, you know, I just had to really be very focused and, and the hunch turned into uh, a bit of a, a bit of a mission to say the least. You talked about the first four years. You talked about moving from hunch to building brick by brick this business. In the intervening periods there have obviously been other phases leading up to last year's sale. You talk a lot about family in in different ways. And obviously, you must have built up quite a family of people working in this business. Has it been hard in the last year coming, almost a year, coming to terms with the fact that you're not part of the family in the way that you were when you were at the helm? Or has that been an easy transition (laughs) for you after all those years of hard work? No, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, when, you know, when you're in that whirlwind of running the business and a business that is growing so fast and and basically doubling every couple of years, you are really in, in the middle of a typhoon and you are working with incredibly talented people, creative people, passionate people. 
and you know having really lost my parents at a young age and not having that family base my work was my family and it's an intense relationship on april the 2nd to the day after i sold the business it was an incredibly weird day because i did feel absolutely bereft and it was you know much much harder than i was expecting i have to say it, i i had made it slightly easier because of course i had stepped down as as ceo 18 months beforehand and i really had planned this uh, very carefully because i knew i could not go from being ceo to to not being ceo in in you know in, in a 24 hour period that would have been way too difficult so i brought somebody in to take over my role and david milner took over and he was a non-exec who i'd worked with for for 3 years because he was on our board so i knew him very well which was great but when he started in october as of October 2019 i was so exhausted that i you know i pretty much had a nervous breakdown i just i didn't leave the house for 3 months i had not realized how completely shattered i i was um running the business for 11 years it, it just took up everything that i had and so when uh when we did sell the business to nestle in april 2020 there was tough and exactly as you've said in terms of that feeling of losing a family but it would have been way tougher if i hadn't uh, brought in david milner at that time i think it would have been impossible i'm going to come back to that in a bit your feelings about changing from ceo but also your your honesty just then about where your mental state was i think it's really important and we're going to pick up on a whole bunch of things that have changed in the ether as it were in the narrative in 2020 or 2021 versus 2012 right now though it's time to hear a taste from the mishcon academy digital sessions podcast which can be found on all the major podcast platforms mishcon dres emma walcott talks about what you can do if private information is shared online in the context of a divorce or a separation. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. If information is shared online, even if it's by your friends rather than from you directly, that emanates from disclosure in the context of the divorce or from information you learnt within the relationship. you can open yourself up to charges of breach of privacy or misuse of private information the courts look at a number of factors to determine the damages and the remedies they look at the nature of the information and the level of intrusion that is experienced by the information being shared they will also look at whether you have a realistic expectation and to determine whether you have a realistic expectation of privacy the courts will look at how closely you guarded it whether you spoke to others about it whether it's something that actually has been held discreetly or if it's been shared more widely so if you are quite guarded about your private life and you don't speak with many people but you did speak to your ex-spouse and then it becomes something that's speculated about online or is shared by them or their friends online the courts are more likely to consider that you had a realistic expectation of privacy which has been intruded upon by that disclosure The courts then have to balance when they're considering whether there's an actionable misuse of private information, whether the intrusion can be justified by the other party's right to express themselves. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon Dorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can hear all our former jazz shapers and hear this very program again on the Jazz Shapers podcast, 
or if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of our recent shows. Back to today's guest and back to the fact it's a Jazz Shapers Encore special. It's Henrietta Morrison, founder and was CEO and executive chair of Lily's Kitchen. And they make healthy, nourishing food for pets. And many of you probably feed your delicious and lovely pets with that very food. You talked before about your mental state, as it were, in October 19, and just before you brought in a, a new CEO to start taking over the reins. You talked a little bit about the emotions when you finally let the business go. When you did let the business go, did it, and, and the sense of loss and grief, did that bring up other things for you? You've mentioned your parents, and some people may know you lost your parents at a very young age. Did it trigger anything related to that, or was it a different and more containable set of emotions? Um, no, it was a very, it was very different. I mean, certainly the, the, that feeling of loss was was there, but yeah, you know, when you're running a business that's successful, that people adore, that is growing so fast, as I mentioned, you know, it becomes very addictive. It's like you're you're in, you know, you're having the most passionate relationship of your life. And suddenly when, when that goes, of course, I felt really bereft. And it's the adrenaline as much as anything else and the excitement and that feeling that you're just making a big difference every day. And so that that was very much how, how it was for me in April, that just sort of being able to potter around and just great that I didn't have to worry about things, but also wondering how's it getting on? How are they how are they coping? What's happening? And just since then I've had to really sort of over the over the months just sort of pull myself away step by step and focus on other things because it really took time to come out of my system. And the, I guess one of the terrible things was that Lily died in, in June. And I think it was at that point that it really hit me how, um, how much I felt, uh, at a loss because, you know, she was obviously was central to my life and, and central to my decisions. And I was lucky because of COVID, I was able to spend every second with her. So I, I, we had some really wonderful times together before she died, but, the double loss of, of losing the business and then losing Lily was really hard. Hmm. And then on top of that, compounded for you and every other individual mm. on the planet, literally, this this extraordinary thing called COVID. In in contrast, there were these these moments where whether it was Black Lives Matter or whether it was about the environment or all sorts of gender issues have come up, and not because they started in in March 2020, or but because they've been bubbling for a long time. And I mentioned that in 2012, when we spoke, these issues may have been there, but they weren't being discussed. How have you, as a values-driven business, do you think you've made a difference in your own way? Because you became a B Corp company back in 2015, before Mm. people even had heard of B Corp. You give a lot of money and, and your products to charity. Have you felt good about your own role in this as it were and do you feel like you've done as much as you can do in terms of contributing to a Mm. better world you know i when i set up lily's kitchen i really i really wanted to put money where my mouth was and there was no point in talking about a values driven business or a purpose driven business or an environmentally conscious business without actually doing things about it and you know we had many many conversations for example about producing pouches and i really did not want to do that and so we had a lot of heated conversations because, you know, you can't recycle pouches. They go straight into landfill, even though they're the most popular format for pet food. And just decisions like that, that just meant that we kept the business on the straight and narrow. You know, I gave shares to every employee in the business. And that was, again, really important to me that everybody shared in the success of Lily's Kitchen. 
And it's it's wonderful to see the ESG conversation really be so much part and parcel of every single business now. And as you say, being a B Corp at the time, so many people just thought it was a very weird thing. And I had to persuade our board that this was the right thing to do. And this was a fantastic structure for the business and would keep us really thinking about what difference we're making, not just to the planet, but also to our consumers, to our employees making sure our packaging was compostable was really important, ensuring that we're not driving around with empty lorries, really important. And all our suppliers then started to look at becoming B Corp. So we have that ripple effect. Could we have done more? Yes, of course, you know, there's always more. And I think that's actually what's really exciting about the environmental social governance conversation people are in, because it's very creative. What more can we do? And it's not just about what kind of light bulbs you use. You know, the whole, at Lily's Kitchen, the entire team were focused on how can we do better? What what can we improve? How can we make it better? How can we make the entire experience from end to end better for everybody? And that is a creative conversation. We And we all enjoyed being part of it. It wasn't like a big stick that anybody hit each other over the head with. We were just talking there about values and, and this ripple effect. Obviously, that comes down to your leadership. And um, listening to you, I'm struck by how calm you are. Now, it may be that you're one of those swan types who's who's voraciously scrabbling with the legs underneath, but I'm not sure you are. I think, obviously, you are someone that has perspective and, and a view. Why? How? Is this just who you are? Has, has this developed, do you think, as you've got deeper and deeper into what now is a super successful business? Well, I think having had 12 months off from selling the business has made me a much calmer person, to be completely honest. I'm not sure my team would have described me as being particularly calm. I don't know, I'm incredibly action orientated to the uh, irritation sometimes of my colleagues. I just think it's as you get older, you get wiser, hopefully, and being calm and trying to look at issues from all sides is, is a skill that one develops. Is it gender specific, the looking at everything from all sides? Because as a the antithesis, and I, I grew up in a family where my mother was the, the entrepreneur, as it were, and my father worked with my mother that mm. way around. So there was always the narrative, which was, well, women are just better at multitasking. And there's a whole, the antithesis that had been the old stale male white version of, of mm-hmm. leadership. And here we are now having conversations about there aren't enough female entrepreneurs. And here you are talking to me, having just sold out very successful business, having grafted for over a decade. Is there something intrinsic to the way that a woman runs a business that a man just won't have? Wow, I could get myself into all kinds of hot water here. Um, <laughs> oh, come on, let's do some hot water. We've been I so know, polite. I've been so, so far. polite. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think it's incredibly difficult um, being a woman uh, founder and a woman CEO. And I felt like I, I was very well prepared for it. Actually, I went to girls' school. I went to a women's college at Cambridge. So, you know, I should have had all the skills. And it's difficult because women do approach problems very differently to men. And I think it's unfortunately it's down to the old cliche where, you know, if a woman is strong and assertive, she's described as bossy. And if a man is strong and assertive, he's described as being so strong and assertive and not a pejorative way. And that's hard because when you're making hundreds of decisions every day and different choices and you're trying to take care of your team you're taking care of your consumers you're taking care of your suppliers you're keeping the show on the road and 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 dealing with this runaway success 
you are multitasking and being a multitasker, yes, women are, are supposedly good at that, but we don't complain about it. That's, that's certainly true. And I think one of the reasons why I, I really collapsed uh, once I handed over the baton was because I was doing everything all of the time and trying to be great at everything, which is impossible for a human being, whether male or female. And I think what's tough about being a, a female founder and CEO is that there are very few other women that you can talk to. And I was very surprised. Many, many meetings, most meetings or conferences that I was at, I was the only woman apart from the woman taking coats, uh, you know, and jackets at, at the reception. And that was surprising. And I hate to say it, but there is just this sort of underlying or rather sometimes it's quite overt patronizing from from guys. You know, many times I every single time I, I can remember if I was chatting to a guy, somebody I didn't know, he would say to me, so, uh, oh, so do you, you obviously must make the food in your kitchen. And I just take a deep breath and say, oh, you know what? I can't supply 6,000 stores with, you know, over 150,000 touch points from my kitchen. My kitchen's not that big. But just that thought that, you know, here I was with my pinion putting the food out of the oven that they couldn't, just couldn't. The minute I started saying, well, actually, we supply Waitrose and Tesco and Ocado and Amazon and we're the number one supplier in all these stores. They would just look with their eyes wide open. They just couldn't believe it. And it's back down to, you know, women don't go around beating their chests. They just sort of get on with it. Stay with me for more from my business shape in my last conversation with Henrietta Morrison, who has just got on with it and rather successfully too. And we'll also be giving you a treat from Donald Bird. That's in just a moment. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. That was your treat. It was Donald Byrd with Hush and uh, a treat left uh, for Henrietta Morrison, I hope, here on our Jazz Shapers Encore is that she's still with us and she was the CEO and exec chair and will always be the founder of Lily's Kitchen. Your journey, and you touched on it in terms of running the business day-to-day, actually stopped before the event, as they call it, in the trade, the event which Mm. happened last year. Most people love the glitz and the glamour. And I was just reading about another person IPOing and another person being bought and so on. And it is that moment where you put your hands up and you stand on the podium. You say, that was me. Thank you very much. You didn't do that. You were quite happy Mm. to exit stage left earlier. Well, I mean, I... You know, I really, I plan to exit stage left. I always, you know, I really felt that I did not want to be one of those founders that is stuck in that no man's land between startup and growing the business and then ubiquity because it's very easy to sort of hold on. And as a founder, once you've set up the vision for the company and how the brand's going to feel and look like and all of those important touch points, and then you're running the business. I just did not want to be the person who was in the way. And by that, I mean, quite often, you can run out of vision. And I didn't want to just overstay my welcome. So when I went to talk to the board about standing aside and finding somebody else to take over the role of CEO, they were very shocked. They were like, there's just no way, you know, we will be coming up to a sale. You're an intrinsic part of the business. And I said, look, you know, I want, I want whoever buys the business to not feel that I'm an intrinsic part of the business. I want them to know that this business is in excellent shape and that there are people who can, who can replace me. I'm not irreplaceable. And so 
What I was very lucky, as I said, that I had a non-executive up my sleeve who who offered to step into my shoes, which was fantastic. But I just, I was just very clear that I didn't want to overstay my welcome. I didn't want to be that person standing in the way of the company's growth. And there are decisions that get made that will accelerate the company's growth that I think, you know, somebody with a fresh vision and fresh eyes could make much better than me. And that's all actually played out exactly as, I, as I'd hoped. So the businesses continued to do extremely well. The new acquirers are delighted with the new CEO. And, you know, I've left the business really in integrity rather than sort of holding on and dragging on. And I think, frankly, it's quite hard for other people to always work with a founder. As a founder, you've done every single job. And it's pretty annoying for other people when you're always telling them how they could be doing their job better, which unfortunately was something, <laughs> a trap that I quite frequently... I am better yes. than you. And I've, this is I've how done you this and, and I'm <laughs> just going to tell you why you haven't... Oh, thank you, Henry. Precisely. You just made me feel great. I can imagine. But joking aside, that's a very enlightened view to take. And now in this in this post-event moment, when obviously you have some some value has been crystallized, let's use euphemisms like that, I, I'm not going to ask you the what's next question. I'm going to ask you what you're thinking about at the moment. What are the things that you're stimulated by? What kinds of ideas? What kinds are you reading a lot of books? Are you spending time talking to friends? What is it that Henrietta's you know, you talked about the addictive nature of it and you talked about the adrenaline. Now that you've come off of that, now that you're in a good state mentally because you haven't got the hassle and the stress and all that, well, what fills um, the brain? Really, I'm in an incredibly lucky position because I have some amazing hobbies that I've been able to devote time to. For example, I, I'm a very keen gardener. So that's been wonderful being able to just spend time outdoors. But also I'm setting up a foundation, which is also extremely interesting you know, it's something I don't know, or at least I didn't know very much about. And it's been wonderful working on what the foundation is going to be about. And we're looking at focusing on women and education and homelessness as well, but topics that involve women and, and teenage girls as well. So that's been something that has occupied my mind and something that I'm incredibly excited about launching later this year. Well, that sounds like quite a lot for someone that's not really sure what they're going to do next, Henrietta, if I may say. Classically, yes, there's a few things. I do charity and a few things mm. to solve, quite big problems. It's been really nice talking to you again. And it is fantastic that the business has done so well and quite rightly, because as you said, you changed the narrative and you kept going. And uh, there are many delighted and new mm. owners of pets, and let's hope they look after them properly, who are probably now giving their little adorable puppies, mostly puppies, it seems, um, Lily's Kitchen food. Thank you so much. Just before I let you disappear into the sun, what's your song choice and why have you well, chosen it? Well, um, you put your finger on the button. It is uh, Nina Simone, Here Comes the Sun. And I think it just always brings uh, my hair standing on end. It's, it's such an incredible piece. And of course, you know, we've all been through so much this past year. And it has been a long, cold, lonely winter for, for all of us. It's a very much a warming the hearts song, which uh, brings me a lot of pleasure. That was Nina Simone with Here Comes the Song, the song choice of my Jazz Shaper Encore guest today, Henrietta Morrison. She talked about setting out to change the narrative, and boy, does she do that. She talked about you can't have values unless you're going to do something about them, and this is the moment to think about doing more. There's always room to do more. And finally, talk about someone who has developed a sense of calmness despite all the noise 
and the raciness of life going on around them. Fantastic stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.